Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio masterclass on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. What's up, Coach Nation? Coach Cahill here to talk to you about the heart of coaching with Kansas Wesleyan University coach, fam. And why NAIA college football is just as intense and exciting as NCAA football, if not more. Also, make sure you stick around to the very end to learn why a great coach learns just as much from their players, if not more so, than their players learn from them. I really enjoyed getting to know Coach Fam, and I think you will too. Coach Fam, what's one thing you believe about coaching that everybody else disagrees with you on? You know, I believe there's a way to be a positive coach and teach by direction without always, um, how best to put this, without always being happy, if that makes sense. Like, I think there's a way to teach people in a positive direction, tell them what to do a lot of times and use a lot of we Uh, I don't really say I or me or you a lot in coaching. I say we, because it's our whole goal together is, you know, we need to make this block and everything. I, I, it's not like I want you to do this or you need to do this or don't do this. Um, But I really believe in, um, Hey, we're in this together and that I can be a positive coach without being uh, always happy all the time. I'm not always going to tell people, Oh, you're doing such a great job. I'm going to be like, Hey, you need to go block this guy or, you need to use your hands. You need to follow through. You need to play with a wide base, you know, or we need to, you know, we expect better, you know? Right. Yeah. Without being like fluffy and like fake, right. fake positive. And mm-hmm. um, I guess, how did, how did coaching find you? I mean, most I've found like almost no college coach that I've talked to grew up thinking, man, I really want to be college football coach in this particular school like it just kind of finds them the bug bites them so so how did the college coaching bug bite you so the college coaching bug but bit me uh i mean i had played for phenomenal guys i had three different college head coaches so we're gonna have that opportunity i played at western michigan my freshman year under bill cubit uh my special teams coordinator there was mike sabach um huge influence on me recruited me uh, Jake Moreland was my recruiting coach and he actually just got a job with the Jets. So it's crazy where these guys end up in 10 years. Um, so that's advice to all recruits. You'd never know where your coaches end up who would talk to you. Um, but then I transferred after my freshman year to Western Illinois. So um, my freshman year I played, but I was a walk-on specialist. So I had the opportunity to start or a starting job, um, but was told I'd get a scholarship, didn't get one. And then I ended up saying, Hey, I turned down a couple scholarships that go to this big school level. Um, I'm going to explore what else is out there. Uh, Explored the oceans, went to uh, Western Illinois, then finished up my career there, was recruited by Mark Hendrickson. Uh, Ironically, played with our head coach here, uh, Myers Hendrickson at Kansas Wesleyan. And uh, Mark Hendrickson is now our wide receiver coach. So it's kind of weird having your old head coach that you're now the boss of technically. And um, (laughs) then I finished up playing for Bob Nielsen and, you know, his staff was very, very supportive of their guys getting into coaching. A lot of our coaches played for him at some point, which was really cool to see as a guy. Um, you know, when you're finishing up your career, you're like, well, a lot of my coaches played for Coach Nielsen. And um, they were very supportive and helped make me uh, give me an opportunity when I applied to the University of North Dakota. They knew a few of our coaches and I got in there as an intern. And originally, though, I always think in 
med school, law school. I was always good at the sciences, reading and math. So I was one of those lucky football players who had a good ACT and high GPA. And, you know, I had options, but it was one of those things. It called me. I had great coaches, my high school strength coach, Mike Nitka, Chris Rubio, my snapping coach. All these guys were just phenomenal influences on me. And I decided that's where I wanted to go, especially the times where I'd go back in the summer, help our uh, high school strength program. And it just gave me that experience that made me fall in love with it. What do you, uh, I guess, what is it about coaching that you can't find anywhere else? In coaching, you can still keep that competitive thrill of being an athlete, but those like texts and calls from those people that, you know, you cross paths with just for a little bit uh, that are always in support, or there's always that huge connection that you have from with coaches, no matter where they are in the country. Cause we all understand that same struggle sure. we're going through, um, everybody really who's in it for the right reasons has the same mission of helping out all these student athletes, you know, and helping out each other. Gotcha. Now you, you coach at an NAIA school and that's obviously that runs in tandem or in parallel to the NCAA. Can you discuss the, the biggest difference between playing college football at an NAIA school versus NCAA? Well, the field layout's exactly the same. We still play 11 on 11. It's all honestly, <laughs> there's not really any difference. And that's one of the best things. It's just a whole different league. So um, NAIA can get a different rap, but it's primarily smaller private colleges, um, very similar to a lot of NCAA D3s, some D2s. I think the big difference is uh, D, D2s and D3s. Um, they have a little different regulations they play by. NAIA is a little more open in the recruiting process. We can interact with uh, recruits more freely on social media. We don't have a dead period. So it's similar D3 there. And then we're a little more public about where our money comes from. You know, there's a athletics, there's an actual athletic dollar component um, to it. While D3 might just be like grants or D2, you're public about the money. But I'd say the best way is it's transparent division three, but then with scholarships and scholarship rules. So mm -hmm. your top tier players could be FBS or FCS level players who you know, went to a junior college or didn't have, weren't qualifiers out of high school or figured it out when they were 19, 20 years old, or guys who, you know, come from all over where to guys in Kansas, they don't really know D3 football. They know NAIA football. You know? Right. But I think that's a, a, such a viable option. I mean, like mm -hmm. kids, they, the NCAA has, has done a great job branding itself and, you know, that, uh, Amateur, for amateurism but they're a multi-billion dollar industry go figure that but the the NAIA you know has very talented players as well um what is the biggest misconception about college recruiting that you find you have to continually dispel for families and players that you work with I'd say one of the biggest things is what a scholarship is um I think a lot of people think hey you know, every scholarship's the FBS scholarship, you know, where, you know, you get one person gets one full ride scholarship. That's it. They don't have to divide it. There's no math or anything like that, or there's no academic money that comes into play. Um, there's that piece of it. And then at NAIA, we can stack um, your academic money along with your athletic aid, any sort of other school aid or grants you might get. And then along with FAFSA to make a competitive package. So that what goes into a scholarship is a little different at each level. 
And then I'd say actually what committing means. I think there's a big thing that a lot of people think the recruiting process is super fun. It's a little stressful, but I think a lot of kids just love to be recruited um, rather than actually doing the work that it takes to be a student athlete. You know, they say, hey, I commit, I signed that on that dotted line. Well, now is really when it all starts, you know, everybody can fill out a job application. That's the recruiting piece. But once you actually go get that job, you got to do every piece of it. You got to, you know, be committed in the classroom. You got to be committed to the competition. You got to be committed to everything. So just what a scholarship is and what committing actually means. And, and do you find that, I mean, you've been coaching a, a quite a bit of time, um, have you noticed that there is a changing level of commitment for incoming freshmen? Like, so for example, like I, I think one of the stereotypes and it's not true for every kid, but one of the stereotypes of kind of the Gen Z recruits is that they're sort of wishy-washy. They're not sure kind of where they want to go. Um, I guess, how do you did one, what's your take on that? Like have kids gotten more, wishy-washy on their willingness to fully dive into a program uh and two how do you make sure like the kid that you recruited actually shows up to day one of practice well i mean number one the big thing is the developing that relationship to get them to show up you know um again like if i say it doesn't stop for the young man as soon as they sign it doesn't stop for us too you know i'm going to still be reaching out to him i'm still going to be actively recruiting them and but then get them through all the other things get them registered for classes make sure all their fafsa stuff's correct make sure everything else is all set and ready for them to go when they show up here um but i think in a way like the guys of now and generation i know how we I always say like, oh, the younger generation, you know, is always that's so our much job, different. man. We get to that's make our job, out. right? And for me, it's been exactly like ten years since I last went through the recruiting process as a player. Like, I literally announced I transferred like a, ten years ago to today. But um, I think honestly, we've kind of blown up the recruiting in such a way where it is easy to be wishy washy, and it is in a way it's tough to be fully committed because. We have all, all these people in the recruiting process saying, hey, you don't want to choose it for a coach or, you know, you don't want to choose that school because, oh, you should be big time. We constantly inflate everybody's egos where we say, oh, D3, NAIA, D2, it's not good enough. You know, right. why are you going junior college? You should be going NFL. And really the whole goal of the recruiting process is go find the right college that you're going to graduate from. And then once that, you get that's there. That's what it's for? Is that what yeah, it's for? It's, it, believe it or not, most guys don't make the NFL. Um <laughs> Uh, but I think it's it's a fun time, but I think we've made it easy in a way for them to be uncommittal. Now, I think there are guys who do buy in and and I believe there are still the right guys out there who buy in, know that they're going to have to work hard. Um, I mean, being a biochemistry major, I kind of tell them from like my biological perspective, you know, you're going to be 18 when you're a freshman. Right. You've never been a college football player before. Right. The guy you're competing against is 20, 21 years old. He's been a college football player for three years. He's been an adult man for three years now. So his body hasn't been using mom's cooking to grow to 5'10". It's been using him to broaden out his shoulders, to fill out. He's been running our routes for three years. He should know him better than you. So your job is to go and compete and then learn him as well as he does and go eat like he does. Learn from him. Go compete with him in everything and understand how they do things well. Um, sure. 
I know I went a little tirade there, but no, I think tirade, we, tirades make for great podcasting. So, right. <laughs> um, but I think uh, competition is competition in high school is not quite the same as, you know, in, in college for sure. I mean, you know, particular <laughs> states like Texas, maybe that's a different animal, but you know, most, most high school football programs don't have 20 wide receivers in the wide receiver room. They don't have six kickers in the specialist room. You, I mean, if you're the kicker, usually it's like, because nobody else wanted to do it, but you might show up to, if you show up to a big D one school, you might have 10 kids uh, just for, just for that. And only one of you guys gets to play. Um, and I, th I think there, there's like this big, like freshman, uh Oh, what did I get myself into moment? And from your perspective, what is the single hardest thing? that freshmen have to overcome their first year free time i think free time is the biggest thing anyone has to overcome because for a high majority of freshmen i know it's different for everyone but you know you come in they come in they're 18 they've had mom and dad or someone looking out for them those 18 years well now they're on their own they're away from home they're at school or regardless, they're going to be having to pick up that extra responsibility. So then college structure is built in a way where you're going to have free time, regardless of if you play a sport. So how do you manage that? Are you using it to study your playbook better? Are you using it to get ahead in the classroom? Or are you saying, you know, I really don't have to go to class today, so I'm just going to sleep through my 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and then I'm just going to catch up on it all later, but you never catch up on it, you know? So that I think free time's that big hurdle because, as we also know, free time you can sometimes get into a little bit of trouble depending on who you hang out with sure yeah i think a lot of kids just don't know or realize just how much free time they have like you might have two hour and a half classes and then like that the rest of your day is open um right. and in high school it's almost like we have kids on these conveyor belts mm -hmm. where most of their major life decisions are largely predetermined by you know well-meaning adults like teachers and mm -hmm. parents or whatever but their first real rep at making a consequential decision is the most important single rep that they've ever had to make in their life, which is college. So that's like, you know, throwing in a quarterback who doesn't even know the playbook to like, you know, when they're 10 yards deep in the end zone. And that's what we're doing with the college process for a lot of kids. And then like on top of that, there's the social aspect of adjusting to school. Um, and so really the role of you guys as coaches, you're almost like, pseudo guidance counselors and mentors um can you describe how you see your role as a coach maybe from like a mentorship perspective so i mean i think it, it goes into the recruiting process we got to find the right young men you know we're not going to find the ones who are one eight or anything like that no why waste our time with someone who can't get in you know it's going to be a complete struggle for us or for that young man you know where he's not going to fit us academically athletically socially so I think it starts there as a mentor finding the right young men to fit our program and then at Kansas Wesleyan I feel um, we have probably one of the most open coaching staffs in America like we've had guys who've transferred here from other programs they say like well here I can actually sit down with a coach and have a conversation so like our offices are all right next to our locker room so they can just walk on in. Our doors are open 99% of the time unless we really got to get some work done. But being there for the guys first. And that's my big belief in coaching is that I'm here for the guys on our team. I'm not here for, you know, or for whoever I'm coaching. I'm here for them, right? I am not here to just design up plays and everything like that. Now, that's a part of it to put them in the best position to be successful. 
but the biggest thing is to be there for them as a person and having those people that you mentor understand that is the key thing i think right right yeah and i think that that's like we we always kind of forget that like 80 percent of coaching is is not what you see on the on the practice field so much more of it goes there's so much more to it and um can you describe, I mean, and I guess this is kind of a, a bigger issue these days. And I've noticed it as a high school teacher past couple of years, even pre COVID, um, you know, certainly mental health has been an issue for like a, a lot of young kids. There's definitely a corollary with that spiking as like social media went mobile and it's, you know, the, the world is in your pocket now, basically it never shuts off. I mean, you know, Facebook was around 10 years ago, but it wasn't in your pocket. Um, what I guess how how do you guys as a staff um make sure you're helping out your athletes in terms of like mental health issues uh because that's like a very broad term and it means a lot of different things but um yeah I guess how how have you guys like dealt with that I think one of the biggest things that we have really that's helped us is we have those personal social interactions Mm-hmm. Now, number one, we, we take any sort of mental health thing incredibly seriously. Sure. Um, I think as everyone has to these days, because now we're just more aware of it. You know, it's yep. not like it's a new thing. It's just people are more educated on it. It's now something that's not as taboo to talk about. So I think yeah. having yeah. those relationships and being in person for those conversations um, can really help solve a lot of those problems. It's one of those things it's like, if yeah, they always look smiling and happy, but there's deeper issues going on inside we don't see, we don't know, you know, but having that relationship where they can talk to us about those problems is the biggest thing that helps us out as a staff to conquer it. And then having like the support here on campus. I mean, as a Christian institution, we do have, you know, um, a lot of pastoral guidance, guidance and everything else, you know, that can help them out too. And then if they need a mental health professional, there's that option too. Gotcha. And, and is there a particular, since we're on the topic of mentorship, is there a particular player that stands out um, that you would tout as like one of your biggest coaching success stories or like a player that like you worked really, really hard with and you had like some kind of breakthrough with, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I mean, there's a few, that I feel we've I've had a great breakthrough with. I think probably at my last school, our kicker, Peyton Oy, I loved coaching him. Um, he was a guy who came in his freshman year. He had the strongest leg you could imagine, but like his technique and his consistency and mentality, it was all over the place. Um, and it was definitely different. So we really worked hard that next year. And then he ended up only missing one field goal and like finishing like second in the country and like field goal percentage. I mean, he just absolutely dominated it from there. And it was just a lot of, Hey, trust, you know, all these techniques were kind of breaking the horse a little bit, but just that breakthrough really helped him a ton. I think. Yeah. And, and what's, what's your approach to being honest with your players? Not that high school coaches are soft with their players or they're unwilling to like be brutally honest sometimes mm-hmm. and have difficult conversations. But I think that's certainly in college football, college sports, that's certainly where like a young person might for the first time, like get their feelings hurt by like a coach um, yeah. with, with good intention. So I guess like, what's your approach to honesty? And, and I guess, have you, what's the hardest conversation or conversations you've ever had with a player 
And then what's your philosophy of being brutally honest with, with players? I mean, there's a couple different ways. I think how much you, that person can handle really depends on them because each person, you know, takes negative negativity and coaching and instruction a little differently. And now they should always take it from their coaches. But um, I think do you have a couple different methods. You can really just be incredibly direct where you just say, this is exactly what you're doing wrong and you need to just fix it. Or there's the sandwiching approach, which I've always heard where it's like, Hey, you're doing this, but you really need to fix this. Do you understand that? And I really, after everything, I always ask a question, but as far as a guy or a girl who really like, I felt it made a big impression on as a coach, oh, man, I really felt my, my long snapper at Wisconsin Lutheran. I felt I made a great impression on him, Matt Brannon. So his freshman year, he came into Wisconsin Lutheran. He was a freshman and it was my first year as a coach there. And he was a guy who did not really do too many things right. You still got me? I had another call come in. Yep. He's a guy who didn't do too many things right. Didn't really like going to class, kind of associated himself with the guys who were also the, you know, hanger honors, all the guys who wouldn't, you know, do the stuff all right and not go to class. And then we just really fixed him. And I really, you know, said, Hey, I'm not just here to develop you as a snapper. I know that's a huge thing for you, but to develop you as a player and a guy, you know, I want you to graduate from here and, you know, I'm going to be really tough on you, Matt, because I expect you to be perfect every single time. So we're going to challenge you a lot here. You're a big, strong physical athlete. You need to know that too. And I think you really rose to it, ended up graduating, made some big plays um, for them as a tight end, as a spent a whole year as a tackle too. And we we're short on a line and yeah. And now, now do you think um, it's like a chicken or the egg question? Can confidence be coached or do players have to show up with it? Because like I, I've encountered college coaches all, all over the spectrum. Some say, well, if you don't have confidence at the point, you know, at this point, like it's really hard to build it up. And other guys think it's like totally malleable. So can can confidence be coached? I think confidence can be coached, but I think there's definitely those people who do have or don't. Now to coach confidence, I feel there's that experiencing success is one of those things that um, always helps you out to have that confidence. You know, if you experience a lot of failure, it's tough to really believe in yourself in those trying moments, but having people in those moments of adversity where, you know, it's kind of fixed in a way to win, you know, can really help them out if they kind of don't see behind the illusion and everything or you know, kind of fix it a little bit. You know, you're not going to have your QB start throwing against a live fast defense with a blitz and a rush the first thing. No, you're going to have them throw a couple out routes on air and stuff like that. You're going to have them, you know, throw a couple fade balls to your top receiver, not to, you know, the last guy in your depth chart who you've never seen catch a ball with his hands, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and so you – I always, I get the vibe, whether it's from the stuff you put out on Twitter or talking to you, you know, you think a lot about coaching or like you, you definitely are passionate about it. Um, I'm curious, do you have a, like a reflective practice for yourself, whether it's like, in, for example, in the past, other guys, other coaches and players have said like some, some of them journal, they'll pray, they'll meditate, they go for walks or something. But when do you or how do you collect your thoughts 
and reflect on your own coaching practice to improve yourself? And what does that look like for coach fam? Well, for me, some days it really just keeps me up at night. It's one of those things, like if I felt I didn't do a great job and this is where like, I don't think athletes realize like how much we all love coaching is like, Hey, we are, you know, it bothers me if I feel I didn't reach a, a young person that day. But I think I just kind of reflect back on like what my coaches taught me or, you know, or what my experience has led me to believe to be like, Hey, I've, I've made the right decision. Just go with my gut, you know, trust it all and constantly keep educating myself on what I can do better, you know, yeah. for that young person I'm coaching. And yeah, you know, some days it's tougher than others, but that reflective, just taking those couple moments to myself, writing down a few things that I thought were a great idea or a lot of different things. Like my notes app in my phone is just full of stuff. It looks like I'm just texting all day. Half the time I am for recruiting or keeping up with <laughs> the 8 million emails I get. But um, it's a lot of times like ways that I feel I can modify the way I coach something or just my personal philosophy. Mm. So, so summarize your personal coaching philosophy in one sentence. Effort, love, enthusiasm. Explain each of those. So that's my promise to the players I coach mm -hmm. is I'm going to give you a ton of me, a lot of effort, right? There's going to be a ton of effort that comes from me. Love. I'm going to coach you from a place that it grows you. If you piss me off because you're not doing the right stuff, it hurts me. But like, if I'm going to get in your face, just know it's because I want you to be better. You know, we're going to grow through this whole thing together. If I'm coaching. you, And then enthusiasm. I'm not a coach where I like to be quiet. I hate, I hate sometimes being in an office. I love when I'm out on the football field. I, well, that's one of my favorite things about coaching men's football and women's flag is that I got to be on a football field for like four straight hours someday. That is a beautiful, phenomenal thing. And I'm going to be excited about our big things, but just know if there's things that I'm upset or I'm talking loudly, it's not because I'm trying to bury you down. It's trying, because I'm trying to wake you up. I, right. I, I know and know how we do it. And then and then fam, E-L-E, family, that's what it is. It all goes into one thing. It's we're in this together. We're a family. And that's why. So it goes fam, E-L-E, family. So. Gotcha. I see what you're doing there. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that like what you're, you're saying is important because coaches can get stuck inside their own heads just as much as players can get stuck inside their own heads. You know, if you're working with a player and you know, you know that you coach them the wrong thing or you bog down their brain too much. And then, you know, the kid messes up. Now they're having a bad practice. Like coaches take bad practices home with them too sometimes. Oh yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, I was saying, oh yeah, like I agree. And I mean, that's why one of those things, like I learned early on, it's never as bad or good as it looks, as it looks like on the field. Like when you get to that film, you're going to realize like, oh man, like he did really make the great throw there from that read or like, oh, he actually made the nice block, but from standing on the sideline, it looked <laughs> like he kind of, his head was the wrong side, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know some coaches have a, uh, like a 24 hour uh, policy. Like, mm -hmm. the, although, you know, sometimes the way your schedule is like, I know some coaches just dive right back into the film, like the minute after the game is over. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, sometimes you need to decompress a little bit. What do you do to decompress that's not football related? I mean, I love to read. I'm kind of like also like a anime oh, and like. Oh, I could do yeah. that. So what's yeah, all right? So Dragon uh, Ball, all that stuff, and I love autobiographies too. Yeah. Okay, so what what would be your top three book recommendations? Ooh, top three book recommendations. 
Okay. So I want for a lot of people, an easy read is definitely um, the Leroy Butler story. So if anybody, so if you know who Leroy Butler was, he had to take over at like the Rover position uh, over Deion Sanders at Florida state. So he essentially was told his first two years, you're the next Deion Sanders at Florida state. So Leroy Butler is also the inventor of the Lambo leap, the greatest celebration in all of sports. I'm a Giants fan, but I got to respect that. The celebrating with the fans who sure, technically sure. own your team. Um, but he actually uh, was in a wheelchair like the first like 10, 11 years of his life. He, wow. he had like really bad pigeon toed. He had to wear like these forced dump level braces on his legs. And he grew up with nothing and just ended up becoming an NFL borderline Hall of Famer. Um, definitely recommend. Um, one of my other favorite books lately is, was uh, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. I think that's okay. a little too recently, uh, recent to, you know, promote. And he's done a great job promoting that himself. But what, um, what's one thing you took away from Green Lights? Just like always be constantly motivating yourself and seeing that like there's a greater future for you if you keep that internal motivation and you have your eye on that big prize and say like 10 years from now, that's my hero, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he might actually end up running for governor of Texas. I think he'd probably win. I, I think he might. That'd be that'd be pretty cool. All right, all right. But, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's that's a good impression, man. Yeah. Right, my, so. And then this is probably one of my favorite books I've read, and it's like a perfect one for coaches because it's all written in like two to three page segments. But and I actually got I got all these books right here, so that's perfect. They asked me. But Arnold Palmer, A Life Well Played. Every little thing is about like two to three pages in it. And it is just perfect. It's stories from him about like his coaching, you know, stuff he believes in, how he takes coaching, business Mm -hmm. to his even personal life beliefs, you know? Yeah. It's very fascinating. Well, it's also refreshing. I mean, I know, you know, it's funny, like like coaches just like, you guys don't have a lot of time, but um, I've just noticed like, a lot of young kids just don't read for fun. You know, like I, I had one of my classes in the, the high school I teach at. I just, I just said for, all right, for quarter four, this is a massive grade, bring in a book, it has to be paperback, read it for the first 10 minutes of class. It's not, I'm not going to like, it's either you do it or you don't. And so and kids are like, you, you just sit at home and read. I was like, yeah. He's like, why? You know, so, but it's, it, it is refreshing to see that you have like that self-reflective practice and I'm always looking for new good book recommendations for sure. What, what are you, yeah. what are you chewing on now for books? Anything else? Uh, for books, I did just finish the book Top Gun. Okay. It's not about the movie, but it's about the guys who founded the Top Gun program. So as someone who did just found a program in our flag football team, it is really refreshing to see like, okay, this is how United States Navy said, we're sick of losing to Russia. We don't, and we're facing all these third world countries, but we're losing in the dogfight level in the air. How do we start a brand new program to revitalize and improve the way we are in the air? So it just was absolutely fascinating how they started that program. And the guy became a battleship commander and everything throughout his career. So kind of just like, essentially like your average young coach, he started out something or, you know, he took what he learned and kind of had to create his own identity and own teaching philosophy and own beliefs. And then 
ended up going through the ranks and yeah, now sitting in a comfy little retirement. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, so last question here, uh, you've been more than generous with your time. Um, Absolutely. what would be one piece of advice you would give to a family, uh, or high school recruit kind of facing the, the college process today? I would say do a lot of research on both the schools you were looking at and the recruiting process. I think it's hard to know what you want right away if you don't know what you need to look for. Like everybody says, hey, you need a college education. Well, what do they want to study? You know, if it's a young man who just wants like to work uh, a line one day, that's fine. You know, or if it's like they want to go into nursing, that's fine, but you better be good at math and science and all that stuff or find a way to be good at math and science and all that stuff, you know? And then the, the other piece of that is, you know, understanding what the recruiting process is. Hey, I keep calling this D1 coach. Why won't they answer me back? Well, it's a dead period. Or, Hey, you're five foot two, 225 pounds and think you're an alignment, right? Well, sorry. They're not going to call you back. Every, everybody loves point. Rudy, but nobody right. wants to give him an offer. Right. And that's like the other piece of like, it is like, Hey, what constitutes an offer? What does that mean? You know, yeah. am I out here in the recruiting process to just collect offers or do I want to find that right place to commit to and go to school to and uh, graduate from and be proud of? Yeah. And then, okay. Coaching has a much longer shelf life than a college football playing career, but at some point you're probably going to retire when you're a thousand years old. And when you're, when you're looking back at your, when you're looking back at your coaching experience, what would be the one thing you would like each player to have taken away from their time working with you? That even if they didn't enjoy it in the moment, I made them better and we got better together. Cause that's like the other thing is like, I am a younger coach. I'm 29, but like every guy I've or girl I've ever coached has made me a better coach. Cause they all have a different way. I got to reach them or a different challenge we've had to overcome together, you know, for some people, I, I want them to just say like, he was there for me. He helped me out. You know, he may have pissed me off all the time. I may not have liked him, but I'm thankful he was there for me. So. And here's the out. Thanks for listening to the coach Cahill show. If you found today's show inspiring or helpful, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment.